Our scripture reading for today is Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for the work that you do, the work that is carried out by your power, by your great faithfulness around this world. We pray for the preaching of the word this morning that our ears might be attuned and our hearts receptive to what Colin has to share with us from you. Pray for Colin and Becca as they head out, Lord, and I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon this work and that you would indeed draw many unto yourself, gathering them to join those who are already here, that your house might be filled with worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen. Really been warmly welcomed back at Richardson CBC, and it's great to be with you. When we chose this passage, I don't want you to think for a minute that we chose this passage because we feel this is an area where CBC is deficient. Far from it. (laughs) This passage is a passage that we boast to other churches about you all. That Community Bible Chapel in Richardson is a place where all peoples are welcome. It's a place where all peoples can be welcomed in the house of worship. But I want to urge you, I think there's room for you and me, to excel still, still more. That's what this message is about, to excel still more. It's rare that I have the opportunity to speak on a passage that I feel I myself have so much more progress to be made. I feel like I'm coming short of this myself, and it's also rare for me to be speaking from a passage that I know, even though the verses are few, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything. I've made some notes. My father-in-law printed several copies. They're out in the foyer. And in case you want to do further study, those notes are there. They're incomplete. When you go home and you say, I can't believe we heard a missionary message. The man was talking about Jesus' interpretation of Isaiah 56. He didn't mention the Great Commission. He didn't mention the first commission in Matthew 10. He didn't mention Jesus' uh, cross-cultural ministry in Matthew 15. He left so many things out. And that's true. 
I'm going to leave out a lot. If you wouldn't mind, just take those notes and add all the things that should have been in that message, but weren't. <laughs> you have carte blanche from your minister this morning to make all the changes you want to add more and draw out more from Isaiah 56. I'll make three brief passes through the passage today. The first one, taking it in its context, is a prophetic word to Israel about a coming kingdom and God's heart for that coming kingdom and worship in His house in the coming kingdom. And the second pass through, we want to see what Jesus had to say about Isaiah 56. Jesus taught these passages. You'll be able, as you hear me speaking, I'm praying the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind other things that Jesus said from Isaiah 56. And you'll write this message for yourself. And then finally, we want to come through with the words of Ephesians 5.1 in our minds. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. And so the third time through, we're going to be seeing God's attitude about His house. And we'll be asking the Holy Spirit to show us how we would imitate our Father's house heart for His own house. Father, You know it's true that this is a passage that is deeply challenging for me. A passage that I feel I fall short of. A passage that the brothers and sisters at CBC have made great progress in. I don't feel worthy to preach to anybody else this message. But I do come to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would take this word and apply it individually and particularly to each home represented here. And that my brothers and sisters would go home today chewing on this word. That we'd go deep to the heart. Transform the way we live our lives for the glory of Christ Jesus in his church. Amen. Well, you know I'm going to start with the Bible quiz. This one I'm going to call Old Testament Immigration. The quiz is Old Testament Immigration. And I want you to think about the patriarchs of Israel. Four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Which of those four men would you say was not, was not an immigrant? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Who was not an immigrant? Ready with your answer? We definitely wouldn't say Abraham wasn't an immigrant because he's famous in the Bible for being that man to whom the Lord called to go into a land that he would afterward receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he went. Abraham was definitely an immigrant. But when we think about Joseph, he couldn't be our non-immigrant either, could he? Because Joseph, from a very early age, was pushed out of his home, pushed out of his family, and forced to immigrate to Egypt. And then as we start thinking about Joseph's immigration to Egypt, we remember that later in life, Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and all of his brothers to Egypt. And so they were all immigrants too. 
So if you said Isaac, Isaac was born in the promised land, died in the promised land, then I give you half credit. (laughs) Because the scripture says about Isaac, looking backward from Hebrews, right, that he lived in tents with his father Abraham and with his son Jacob, like a stranger in a strange land, though he was sojourning in the promised land. He was an immigrant too. And in fact, the scripture looking back says that those whole 430 years, all of the children of Israel were immigrants in Egypt. And he says in Hosea, out of Egypt have I called my son. God has a heart for the immigrant. And he applied that Hosea prophecy to his own son because Jesus, though he was born in the promised land and died in the promised land and rose again, praise God, in the promised land, was an immigrant to Egypt when he was a small child. God loves immigrants and he has a word of comfort and hope for them in Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. Do not, says the scripture, Let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me, who hold fast my covenant to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than the name of sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. To the foreigner, to the alien, to the eunuch, the man who has no children. God draws us in. What he says to the foreigner is, don't say the Lord will surely cut me off from his people. I believe that there is a coming millennial, 1,000-year reign of Christ Jesus on the earth. That's a day that's still future to us now. You might disagree with me in some points, but I think we'd all agree that Isaiah's message is there is a coming kingdom, that the Lord will reign on this earth, and that all the promises to Israel will be fulfilled. But it might cause you to wonder, if you happen not to be an Israelite, I'm not, I'm a Gentile. Does that mean that in that kingdom, I'm second class? Maybe I'll be in the new Jerusalem hovering up here, but if I were to come down and worship on the holy mountain of God, on this earth, would I then be a second class citizen? Not one of the people of Israel? Not one? to whom God is fulfilling his promises. Isaiah 56.3 says to you and me, if we're not Israelites, don't say the Lord will separate me from his people. Yes, he's going to fulfill all the promises to Israel, but he will never separate you from his people. I know what it is to be an immigrant. Have you ever been an immigrant? you ever been living outside of the United States on a work permit? Anybody? Just show me your hand. Esther, you've done that? Yes. Scott, Beth, you've done that? You all have been on a work permit? 
Anybody else? You lived as an immigrant overseas? Yes, we have immigrants. We have anybody upstairs, an immigrant? We've been, we, we know what it feels like to be an immigrant. There's a feeling of insecurity. I just tell you this, if you've never lived as an immigrant outside of this country, there's a feeling of insecurity. I know what it is to be called into the office of the immigration police. They tell me we could make you leave tomorrow. And it's true. We can take away everything that you have. And it's true. I got a little blue book that says you can always send me back to the U.S. and they can't turn me away. But anywhere else I go, they say, you're here because we say you can be here and the minute we decide different, you're out. It's a feeling of great insecurity to know that if I'm ever in a traffic accident, I will always be at fault. <laughs> if I ever get into a dispute with a native of the land, I'm the one who's going to pay. No one will advocate for me. No one will stand up for me. I don't belong. I'm an outsider. I know what it is to be an immigrant. God has a heart of compassion on the immigrant. He reminds us people, you were immigrants when I called you out of Egypt. You might be saying, if you're an American, I've never lived outside the country. Well, immigrants to this country, at least they are secure. But I have to tell you something. Even in a liberal democracy like the United States, it's hard to be an immigrant. It feels insecure. You feel at any moment, I could be separated from the people. God says, in my house, it's not that way. Don't imagine that you could be separated, ever separated, ever discriminated against, ever made to be second class, ever lose your possessions. God has a heart for the immigrant. He has a heart for the eunuch, that childless man. This is speaking specifically about men. We'll see that Christ Jesus references men and women. This is specifically to men. A man has a desire that he would be able to have children, that he would leave a posterity, that he'd have some kind of a heritage. But the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I give in my house and within my walls, verse 5, a memorial and a name that's better than the name of sons and daughters. He's speaking about two heartbreaks for the eunuch. The first is that heartbreak that there's nobody who calls me daddy. And something that a man loves to hear his children call him daddy. God says, I've got something for you. I've got something for you that's better than hearing children call you daddy. I've got something better. And there's that name that our children give to us, and then there's that name we give to our children. A man wants to know that his name is passed on. He's able to pass my name on to three children. McDougal. Pretty good name. Pretty good name. 
I didn't do anything to get it. They gave it to me. I passed it on. But how about Elijah? How about Elisha? These are names that live. They continue to bear fruit. Long before anybody was called McDougal, Elijah and Elisha were inspiring people to live for God. Eunuchs who don't have children, Daniel. Daniel might have said, I have no fruit. But there's a lot more people been called Daniel than ever were called a McDougal. <laughs> God is my judge, Daniel. I'm going to give you a name that I'm going to carve into the stone walls of my eternal dwelling. You've got a name. Now don't say I'm a dry tree. I, God made me to give apples and to give shade, and there's no shade for me anymore, and there's no apples either. I'm just a dry tree. God said, no, that's not true. Don't say that. I'm going to give you a better name. How? How did he give them a better name? And on what basis? Well, first of all, we notice in verse 3, the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. Listen to these carefully and tell me if you hear any works of righteousness. The foreigner joined himself to the Lord. Don't let him say, the Lord will separate me from his people. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. For thus says to the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and who hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. Verse 6, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, the ones who keep from profaning My Sabbaths and hold fast My covenant promises. Those are the ones. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision, but faith working through love. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about doing good works. It's about joining yourself to the Lord. Loving His name. As I was reading this, one word jumped out at me and I said, why? Why the Sabbaths? Those who keep my Sabbaths, who keep from profaning my Sabbaths. And I began to ask myself, is that really true? that it's only about love for me and joining yourself to me except the fourth commandment. Without the fourth commandment, then you can't belong to me. Could that be true? I had my own answer to that question, but when I was in the Wednesday morning Bible study, the brothers and sisters reminded me that Isaiah 58, 13, if you just... Past, it's two pages over in my Bible. Isaiah 58, 13 tells us what he means by keeping the Sabbath. And in 58, 13 it says, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, 
and you honor it desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and from speaking your own word, and you take delight in the Lord. Keeping the Sabbath is not about a list of things I can do on Sunday and a list of things that I better not do. Keeping the Sabbath is delighting in the Lord. Turning away from my own plans and my own words and my own agenda and delighting in Him and what He is all about. How do we join ourselves to the Lord? Well, for you and me, praise God, it's wide open. It's so clear how to join ourselves to the Lord. Because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. The Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. And He lived among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, I hear this clearly now, Jesus Christ was sent by His Father to die in your place and mine. He took your sins on Himself on the cross. And He paid the penalty in full. The one who joins Himself to the Lord is one spirit with Him. The one who's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The promise here is for those who join themselves to the Lord, put their faith in Christ Jesus as the one sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world, who accept His sacrifice and payment of their sins. And if that describes you, you will by no means be cast out. The promise here is in that eternal kingdom, in that thousand-year kingdom, in that kingdom of God on earth, you have no fear that the Lord will separate you from His people. You're an insider. You won't need a passport. You won't need a work permit. You are a son and an heir of God through Christ Jesus. So great in Ezekiel 48 as you get to the end and you've seen the picture of that temple. The new temple that will exist on the holy mountain of God in Jerusalem. Then it tells us that anyone who wants to immigrate to Israel will be welcome and can own property and can hand it on to their heirs. You will not be separated from His people. Thinking about that last day, it says in verse 7, about those foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, even those I will bring to my holy mountain, I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. I mean, means all the tribes, all the peoples. 
The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others will I gather to them, to those already gathered. And God is thinking of that time when the Mount of Olives will be split because Christ Jesus returns and stands on it. It will not be able to stand. The Mount of Separation and the Mount of Rejection will be broken, will be no more. There will be a fountain flowing from under the altar that he describes here, flowing down into the Dead Sea, making it come alive. Why? Why does he say in that kingdom their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my holy altar? Because we know that Christ Jesus is at the end of the law to all that believe. There's no more offering for sin. But this isn't an offering for sin. This is an offering where the, the nations come into the house of prayer and He makes them joyful in the house of prayer. And they bring their offerings and God says, I want to accept. I'll accept those offerings. Whether you're an Israelite or whether you're a Gentile, in that day it won't make any difference. You bring your sacrifices in and they'll accept it. It's a house of prayer for all nations. In English... When we read that phrase I'm in the end of verse 7, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. When we read that, we can think in English this might have two meanings. On one hand, it might mean my house will be called a house of prayer for all of the nations to gather and pray. But it could mean, in English it could mean, my house will be called a house of prayer where, all the, where people gather and pray for the nations. You see how it could be either one? People gathering from all peoples? People praying for people of all nations. But in Hebrew, and then again when it's quoted in Mark eleven seventeen, it's clear that what God's envisioning is His house would be a place where all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples would come and pray. You see the difference? It's a place where all peoples can gather and pray. Their prayers would be accepted. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel says, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. I want to go back through this passage again now and just review the things that Jesus said about Isaiah 56 and about the things that we've been reading, these promises. As I do this, this is the part where we could go on and on. And the Lord will bring, I'm praying by the Holy Spirit, He will be bringing to your mind other things that Jesus said about Isaiah 56. This will be a a very rich time where you will add to the things that we talk about here. The things that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind will be more precious to you even than the things that we read together. I've been asking that He would do that for you. First of all, when he says, neither let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. Jesus goes back to the eunuch, to that single person. It's in the passage, Matthew 19, 12, it's in the passage about marriage and divorce. Speaking about people who are single because of divorce. People who are single for whatever reason. And what Jesus says about them is, there are people who were eunuchs from birth. And there are people who were made eunuchs by men. 
But then there are also people who choose to be eunuchs, who choose to be single because of the kingdom. And Jesus says, not everyone can accept it, but to those to whom it has been given. When we think about the gift of the celibacy, sometimes we have the wrong impression about that. The gift of celibacy means I'm single. It's a good gift from God that I'm single. It doesn't mean that it's easy for me to be single. No. Oh, I have to get married because I don't have the gift of singleness. Well, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness doesn't mean I have an easy life. if, If you're single, and you're single for the kingdom, what it means is that you've been chosen for a special ministry and equipped for a special ministry, and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It means that it's a, there's a particular blessing for you. You're following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most fruitful person who ever lived, though single. To the eunuch, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Sure, he says this to all of us, but in particular to that eunuch who says, here I am, a dry tree. I have no fruit. What Jesus says is, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Every branch in me bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch that abides in me brings forth much fruit. A branch that doesn't abide in me dries up and is cast out. Here's Jesus' word for that person who's feeling, I'm a single, I have no fruit. Who will carry on my heritage? How will my name be carried on? I just want somebody to call me mommy. That's all I want. What Jesus says is, there's a fruitfulness you will not be able to imagine if you abide in me. I chose you so that you would bring forth fruit. Fruit that would remain, Jesus said. This is an eternal Savior who promises you fruit that will remain. Don't say I'm a dry tree. Jesus was consumed with the zeal of his Father's house when he came and cleansed the temple the first time in John chapter 2. He said, you're making my father's house a house of merchandise, as though it's a business. And he drove them all out, and his disciples remembered that it was written concerning him, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. But Jesus himself, the second time when he came through and cleansed the temple, and he found in it people selling all all the animals, all the sacrificial animals, and the tables where the changes of money were sitting. And he made a whip out of cords, and he drove them all out, and he overthrew the tables. And he said, my house, quoting Isaiah 56, 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, 
but you have made it a den of robbers. Mark eleven seventeen. You have made it a den of robbers. What was Jesus objecting to? What made him so mad? It wasn't that people were bringing animals into the house of God. This is the temple. It's made for animals to be brought in and sacrificed. He was angry because people were being taken advantage of. The very people, the very people who his father said, I'm going to make them joyful in my house. The foreigners who come in, I'm going to make them joyful in my house of prayer. God made a provision, and it was a gracious provision. I can attest because I might be one of the few people in this room who's ever had to drive sheep. Anybody ever herded sheep over a long distance? Anybody ever moved sheep for more than five miles? I'm telling you, taking sheep for pasture is one thing, but moving them over a long distance, that's something else again. That took me all day. And I had three partners. Moving sheep over long distance is hard work, and God graciously said, if you live a long way from Jerusalem, you can sell your sheep where you live, bring the money to Jerusalem, buy another sheep, and I'll count it as though it was yours. You can offer it, and I'll accept it. But those very foreigners, when they sold their sheep, and they came with the money, crooks and merchandisers in the temple, said, no, we'll only accept our money. And we're going to give you a lousy exchange rate, and we're going to gouge you on the exchange, and then we're going to gouge you again at the point of sale. Jesus said, no, these are the people we're trying to welcome in here. My father said his house would be a house of joyful prayer for all the nations. You're trying to make a profit off of it? These are the people we're welcoming in here. They already feel insecure. Jesus planned all along to gather his sheep. John 10, 16 says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And there will be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus was looking forward to that time. But God said, I will gather others to those already gathered. But then I'm remembering, and you're thinking of other times too, I'm sure. Other passages, but the one I'm thinking of is Acts 2, where at the day of Pentecost, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving, you stay in Jerusalem. Just stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And the Holy Spirit was given. Why did he tell him wait in Jerusalem? Why did he make him wait ten days? So Jerusalem would be filled with all the nations. So that when the Holy Spirit came, all of the nations could be joyful in Jerusalem. And they heard the gospel being preached in their own language. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen today. I practiced for three years to be able to tell the gospel in Matumbi, and it was a lousy presentation. But on the day of Pentecost, the nations heard the gospel preached, the joyful nations, each in his own language. 
One more time through. One more time through Isaiah 56. This time from the perspective of Ephesians 5.1, as dearly beloved children, be imitators, be imitators of God. And my father has a motto for his house. And the motto says, a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. I, I want my house to be called a house of prayer for all nations. If I'm his dear child, imitating him, what would that look like for me? What would that look like for you? What, what, how will we imitate our father in his desire that the motto of his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. First of all, I want my house to be a house of prayer. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you about your house, but I want to tell you about my house. I want my house to be a house of prayer. Some people welcome in my house who would come, and when they come, they would always know I'm going to pray for them before they go. My house would be a house of prayer. That's what I want. Then I want my house to be a house of prayer for the nations. We're getting ready to set, a, set up a new house and start open a new office. And I'm thinking, how would it be decorated? How would it be open in a way that people from all tribes, not just missionaries, but people from all of the tribes would be welcome to come into this new house we're going to go set up in Africa. I want it to be welcome for the nations. In a house of prayer. That's, that's what I want. And uh, I, I confess to Tom Wright and a couple of other brothers, I'm not getting this right. I, I feel so bad because about three days ago, someone very close to me came for a visit and was with us with us, and then we said goodbye, and he got in the car, and he drove off. Didn't pray for him. And I love him, and I regret not praying for him. I want my house to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. I want to hear about CBC. When we're overseas, I would like to hear from you that CBC is more and more becoming a people of prayer. And the house on Dorothy Street, that the house on Dorothy Street is more and more known as a house of prayer. It's already known as a place for the teaching of the word. I want the house on Dorothy Street to be known as a house of prayer. And a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody coming together to pray. I want to hear more about ISI International. I'm going to go with the Garretts this afternoon, and I know I'm going to hear about ISI. I can hardly wait to hear about ISI. ISI is about single people who are foreigners in this country. Could you be any closer to Isaiah 56 than that? You're doing well. I want to hear more stories about that. And I dream, this is my dream, that while we're in Africa and you're here, the lines will begin to blur about who stays and who's sent. It, 
my house in Kenya would be a house of prayer for all nations. Your house in Richardson would be a house of prayer for all nations. And then when I come home and tell you about what I've been doing, and you tell me about what you've been doing, there'll be a lot of similar themes. Because God is making the nations joyful in your house and mine and in his holy house of prayer. Lord Jesus, make it so. Amen.